Exegesis. Hello, and welcome to Countdown to Exegesis. I'm Ollie. I'm a Dan fan, and I'm going to try out my new Steely Dan stand up routine on my co host, Dan Skeptic Andrew Souter. Ready for joke number one? How many are there? Three. Okay, alright. Why did Donald Fagan cross the road? I don't know. Why did Donald Fagan cross the road? To berate a session guitarist for overbending a note 45 years ago. Okay, number two? Knock, knock. Who's that? Donald Fagan. Uh, Donald Fagan who? How dare you. Because he's vain. Mm. He thinks everyone should know who he is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think if you, if, you were, if you were doing these jokes in a, as like a tight club five in a, at a comedy show... Do you think you'd have been heckled by now? As a what club? What? A tight club five. That's a stand-up terminology for like your, you know, your five-minute set. Oh, you've got a fight. You've got to drop your little one-liner bangers. No, a five-minute set. Yeah, so you've got to keep the jokes tight and that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, allow me to throw out my next one then. And final one, hopefully. Why does Jeff Skunk Baxter have trouble sleeping? Because he's a c***. Because he swapped instruments of life and love for instruments of death. I don't get it. I mean, it's not so really... what's that a reference to? Because he doesn't play guitars anymore. He plays with missiles. But why is but what? <laughs> but why is the phrase "instruments of life and love" is that from something? No. So you've just so, so you, just you, just the truth. You've constructed a joke where you're mm-hmm. referring to the guitar as an instrument of life and love. Mm-hmm. That is vague. <laughs> That's nobody's going to laugh at that. Some comedy doesn't make you laugh straight away. Right. So some comedy you laugh when you get home or a few years later. Mm. Potentially, as your life slips away and your life and it flashes before your eyes, mm. that's when you might get that one. <laughs> as my hand is squeezed by my, <laughs> by my loved one, <laughs> and I just say, Ollie, that was yeah. brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Today, we're looking at Pearl of the Quarter, which is the penultimate track on Countdown to Ecstasy, and the B side to the My Old School single. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to hearing too about Andrew Souter's little Countdown to Exegesis themed outing mm. to see uh, a Steely Dan tribute band called Neely Dan. So we have poisoned the well a little bit here because you know the idea of this podcast has always been that you don't hear any Steely Dan music, but then through some Strange circumstances of fate. What was originally meant to be a trip between me, you, and friend of the show, Ben Jones, yeah, became you and your <laughs> mate going to see them on your own. So two people who who know either very little Steely Dan or no Steely Dan at all. Yeah. Yeah, my friend Vlad had never heard Steely Dan before. He was just up for a little jaunt. And for the non-Midlands-based listener, so we were the gig was in Bilston, now, Bilston is a small town near Wolverhampton. Um, and to get there, you have to, like, get the tram. It's a bit of a trek. And Bilston itself, although not an unpleasant environ, it, it's not like a... It's not somewhere you go for a gig, really. It's like, if, mm. if you live in Bilston, you you would go to the gig, but you wouldn't, like, bus in to, to go and... Uh, well, I, I don't know about that. I've seen plenty of stuff in Bilston. Have you? Just to... Yeah. Just to sate the angry Bilstoners who are listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been to the Robin loads of times. Mm. Like seven, maybe. Really? Who have you seen at the Robin? Yeah. Uh, I've, I've seen some configuration of the Incredible String Band. <laughs> I've seen... Uh, 
I've seen Half Man Half Biscuit mm. at least twice at the Robin, and I saw a really bad Kate Bush tribute band with my mother. Anyway, tell me about the gig. How uh, was it reasonably well attended? It was very well attended. What was the audience like? The audience was predominantly uh, middle-aged men uh, who were a little bit sweaty, uh, and their wives. Um, Ooh, surprises keep on coming. <laughs> yeah, and but there were a few young people. There were a few people in their, I would say, thirties. And by our definition of young people, there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. People our age. Um, and what can I say? Nearly done came on. They kicked off with uh, "Time Out of Mind," which is not a song that I've heard before, and I'm contractually obliged not to listen to again until series mm-hmm. nine. Um, it it finished, and my friend Vlad turned to me and went, "That was fucking sick, Andrew!" Yes. Like that, he was delighted. Oh. I've never seen him so happy. Vlad's coming on. Yeah, yeah. Vlad, we need you. We need your enthusiasm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he 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 really enjoyed the first. So it was in two halves. I would say the first half was pretty enjoyable. They were a very good band. Everything was very well executed. There was then an interval. After the interval, I would say it, it got wearing. And by the end of the show, I, I just really, really wanted to leave. Or sit down, one of the two. Um, yeah, well, I mean, any show that's in two halves would do yeah. that to me, to be fair. But, yeah, okay, good, good. It sounds like it's a mostly positive experience. And do you remember any songs from Future Dan? Yeah, I do. That you particularly stuck out for you? Do you mean in a good way or, or just... that? Because I, re- I remember most of the set. I remember most of what they played. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. we've, we've really fuck, we've really pissed all over the format here, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, but the only one that I can remember how it goes... I remember Deacon Blues. And mm-hmm. die behind the wheel. Good, that well one. Done. Yeah, good memory. Thank yeah. you. Um, which sounds a bit like um, Nickelback or something. Do you not think? Just that line, that, and die behind the wheel. Um, the one that stuck out for me that I would like to hear again was Bad Sneakers and a Pina Colada, my friend. I, oh, thought, yeah. I thought that one was genuinely good, even even in this cover version. Uh, and I also enjoyed um, Ricky Don't Lose That Number, Payphone 45, or whatever the lyrics are. That one, that'll be coming soon, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but almost that all is a mere two songs away. In fact, oh, really, mm. how exciting! Well, and then, but but most of the tunes they played from Asia, I think, I found pretty trying, and it was like looking into a crystal ball and wincing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so stuff like um, uh, they played Brown Cow, mm-hmm. and um, there was this one fucking. <laughs> I think I would think I was just surprised because. So before we started doing this podcast, my impression of Steely Dan was they're slick. It's, you know, yachty jazz rock. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. I've sort of forgotten that because we've been doing these first two albums, which are kind of like soft rock anthologies of different styles, you know. And Mm -hmm. then then actually being at a fucking Steely Dan tribute concert, I was like, yeah, it is all slick, yachty jazz rock. That's why people like them, isn't it? Well, I mean, there's a reason we're listening in chronological order, which is... Hopefully, by the time we get through, say, Katie Lloyd, mm. they've introduced some of those kind of y- yachty elements, mm. and and you're inoculated <laughs> by that point. Yeah, you've got the um, the yacht vaccine. Yeah, <laughs> so you'll be you'll be uh, you'll be able to face Asia with you know an open heart. Mm. 
me, possibly the best thing that happened all evening when we went to see Nearly Dan was that uh, the gig finished. We had limited transport. <laughs> I thought that was it. <laughs> <laughs> I was relieved. Honestly, I was relieved. Anyway, so they played, the, 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 you know, the best part of the evening was that the gig finished. The final chords of my old school, the final sax flourishes of my old school were ringing in our ears. Mm-hmm. You know, 80 to 90 middle-aged sweating men were uh, debouching onto the street, uh, the, the, the frosty street of Bilston. We had limited transport options home. Uh, you know, last train was about to go from mm. Birmingham. We had to get from Bilston to Birmingham by tram. Last tram was in five minutes or whatever. And Vlad, clearly just wanting to extend the evening, said, <laughs> let's, get a, <laughs> let's get a Chinese. So we went into this Chinese takeaway where... Sorry, he wanted to extend the evening with the risk, with the very yeah. real risk of you being stuck in Bilston for the night. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so and I was having yeah, okay. I was having a nice time, even though I was a little bit bored. I wasn't bored of my evening with Vlad. It was very very nice. Uh, it's, it's one of the best nights out I've had in a long time, <laughs> because the expectations were so low, <laughs> and the details of the trip were so peculiar that it really yeah. it really delivered. So anyway, so so Vlad decided that we should get a Chinese takeaway which we would then eat on the benches of Bilston Tram Station in the cold as the final tram drew away. So we went into this Chinese takeaway and there was a, there was a, a man there with his partner or f- friend, partner, whatever, and we walked in and he said, is there gas in the car? so sorry for everyone involved in that moment. <laughs> it was great because the guy said <laughs> the guy said is there gas in the car? Vlad said a what? And the guy said you were, you were at the gig right? We then started getting shouted at by the lady running the takeaway because it was late. I think she wanted to shut for the night. Here were two uh-huh. dickheads mm-hmm. wandering in you know <laughs> <laughs> engaged the completely incomprehensible conversation with some other customers. So she started like almost shouting at us, being like, what do you want? You know, like, just pick something. What do you want? And we were looking at the menu, kind of trying to pick something. And the guy said, oh, you should get um, Szechuan dumplings. And we went, oh, mm-hmm. okay, is that good? And he said, uh, glamour profession, track two on Gaucho. <laughs> Anyway, we then... Please, did you explain yourself? No. Did you explain? No. 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 <laughs> oh, a, f- a friend. Friend of chi- Chinese... <laughs> Chinese takeaway friend. If you are listening yeah. at any point, please make yourself known. He was a very nice because guy. He was a nice guy. I, I, I feel like you need to have like the pieces put together from this puzzle of a moment. <laughs> Well, yeah, because he clearly thought, oh, I've got a, these guys are clearly steely down nuts. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we had no idea what he was talking about. Um, um, anyway, you missed well, out, Ollie. Well, no. You missed out. I think you and mm. friend of the show, mm. Ben Jones, would have enjoyed it more than me and Vlad. Song facts. Fact number one. This song, Pearl of the Quarter, mm. was tied 
for status of the saddest Steely Dan song. (laughs) (laughs) In a poll of Mm. female readers of the Steely Dan fanzine Metal Leg. Right. And it was tied with the songs Third World Man and Any World That I'm Welcome To as the saddest song amongst (laughs) female listeners to Steely Dan in 1992. So Metal Leg, this fanzine... They mm-hmm. they decided to do this survey, but they said it's only, it's only open to female subscribers. Yeah, and it was a lengthy article. What is that all about? Because why did they do that? Because it was because what the premise of it was like Steely Dan are great, but not many women listen to them. So mm. we'll write literally. It's about it's at least a thousand words, probably more, about what the female subscribers of Metal Leg thought about Steely Dan. Mm. I, but yeah, are you sure it's not that the editors of Metal Leg, who are presumably male, were trying to harvest contact details of female Steely Dan fans? <laughs> well, they already had the contact details because they were subscribers. Oh, true, true. Yeah, you know, they, I mean, they kind of you got the impression they were treating it as some kind of anthropological survey. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, it was like a sort of comment by <laughs> Judith Butler at the bottom of yeah, the article who are... or something. <laughs> We sent a correspondent out to the tribe of Dan <laughs> to talk to its few female residents. Yeah, yeah. Here's another fact. Okay. There's a singer knocking about on the internet called Mark Winkler, and he shares a story on his website, quite a nice story, short but nice, about him auditioning for Steely Dan. Mm. Before, I think they were even really called Steely Dan, so you had you know, you had the Skunk and you had, well, Becker and Fagan, you had Denny Deer, so the band was there. Mm. But as he puts it, like it was the record label who didn't think Donald Fagan could cut, could cut it as a lead singer. Yeah. So they were auditioning lead singers, and obviously they plumped for David Tootie Legs Palmer in the end. <laughs> but he, uh, he auditioned before Palmer got the job, this guy called Mark Winkler. Mm. And what he says is that the the band at that time gave him uh, a reel, like a like a tape reel, mm. with demos of three songs on it. Uh, one of which was Pearl of the Quarter. So this definitely dates to like to pre Seabat. Mm. I um, I feel delighted by that because I my hunch was that this was an early song. But there's a Dallasy sort of vibe yeah, to it, isn't there? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So. And it doesn't have the uh, it doesn't it doesn't have the Steely Dan fingerprints on it. Yeah, well, I, you know, I I've always thought of it as just part of the kind of buffet that is Countdown to Ecstasy. Yeah, but n- now I know that fact. It's kind of like yeah, I can kind of see how it's an older song, but mm. it's to be. I mean, not to not to get too far ahead, but this strikes me as a better song than most of their early demos. Mm. Which to be fair, to be honest, I can kind of take or leave for the most part. But uh, but we'll talk about that in soon times. What is a vibe? <laughs> What's your vibe? My vibe is the apotheosis of the skunk. Mm. Just think, this is, you know, we've heard we've heard a lot of skunk. We're not going to hear an awful lot more of skunk. Oh, is he on and, his way out? Well, I mean, we've got another album's worth. Oh, great, but, great, great. You know, I think this is this uh, a skunk as pedal steel player. Yeah, doesn't get much better than this. It's pretty. So, it's pretty cheeky, isn't that's it? That's my main vibe. The pedal steel is such an integral part of the sonic world of this song, and skunk just makes it fly mm. like like a slidey balloon. Yeah, he does. I agree. But what about what's your vibe? My vibe is Donald Fagan blows the mind of every Steely Dan fan by revealing that he has the basic emotional capacity to fancy someone. 
Yeah. Possibly not justified. I mean, he's, 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 no, sorry, come on, he's leered at plenty of people. No, so but it's like, so oh, he's got a heart, you know, here he is pining for his, his Louise, you know, this, mm. this wondrous Cajun sex worker with her beguiling smile, <laughs> and he still thinks about her. Even though he hasn't seen her, he's still he's still saying, "Oh, if you ever want to come and fuck me, Louise, I'll be here." There's you a, know, he misses well, yeah. he misses people. I can't wait till we. I can't, honestly. Okay, listen. I'm, I'm putting this out. I'm putting this down now. Right, we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna do. Can't pass through all to Gaucho, and then we're gonna move on to the Nightfly. Okay. Because you have because you have to hear after you've been like after you've built up this caricature of Fagin the nightfly will just knock it down i'm sure okay, okay. and you'll see all of his like happy mm. points okay sides. yeah yeah but yeah yeah i see where you're coming from mm. it's a it's a straight straightforward for the dan love song to a prostitute yeah but it was Do just cuz i was doing, i was doing a little bit oh, of sorry, sorry. sorry it's just cuz i was doing a little bit of googling about this song and ended up on some forums you know and people just seemed really like beguiled by the fact that it's a Steely Dan song that has some emotion in it, and and so <laughs> it's kind of like they were talking about it like it was you know like Jeff Buckley or something, rather than just a quite well, quite a, quite a pleasant um, yeah one one of the so one of the women who was polled by the Metal Egg fanzine mm. said something along the lines of it's the saddest song because. It's such a bittersweet loss or mm. something. Now, like, the basic question is, do they think being in love with a prostitute is funny? Mm. And if they do, then this is a big misogynistic joke. Yeah, yeah. And if they don't, then it's quite a sweet song. That's my yeah. basic thoughts about this song. I mean, my immediate thought there is that Donald Fagan being in love with a prostitute is inherently funny. <laughs> Just the idea of just the idea of all his sort of like contrived cynicism falling away as he looks into the into the eyes of a, of a sex worker, like that's when he really feels something. I think I, I think know. that's quite funny. Do you want to know the Dan's vibe? Yeah, from the liner notes. Yes, please. And I quote: "Ooh la la." <laughs> cool. They're funny guys, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they're funny guys. The music. So uh, I think Andrew has a fair amount to say on this because he's been inundating me with WhatsApp messages mm. of various bands and songs that he thinks this song sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Um, most notably, I think, uh, In a Station by the band, which I admit does have a very similar melody mm. to Pearl of the Quarter. So, are you thinking this is a crib? Is that your vibe? Yeah, I think that they have definite. They're definitely channeling the band. Mm-hmm. Now, listeners to series one of Countdown to Exegesis may remember that I mentioned the band sort of like three times a sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you've kept that in, and Piano Man as well, Randy Newman. Randy Newman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I clocked that the melody of Pearl of the Quarter and the melody of Inner Station were similar, my immediate feeling was one of like vindication <laughs> that, that all of those crowbarred references to the band were not in vain. You know, it was finally paying off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't think they're crowbarred for Can't Buy a Thrill. There's certainly an element of 
twangy country yeah. album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like they've kind of condensed all of their twangy country influences into one song. Yeah. For this album. Mm. This is the clearest the clearest nod to country rock we've yet had. Yeah. Because it's just like saturated with country. Yeah. Americana roots. Yeah, definitely. So, but, but I guess the thing is, so the resemblance is basically the melody on the verse. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the observation. There's nowhere really to go with that. Except that it sort of helped Ooh. me to... It's kind of crystallised for me like what the Steely Dan aesthetic is by comparing these two songs. Because okay. I am still... I am Subconsciously, I have been waiting for Steely Dan just to do their music from Big Pink. Like, there's these little glimmers of, of stuff that I enjoy and I'm kind of holding out <laughs> for them to just, just <laughs> like, see the error of their ways <laughs> and, and just do their <laughs> band album. Uh, and it's not going to happen. I need to accept that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just think just listening back to back to Inner Station and Pearl of the Quarter, it's helping me to like nail down what Steely Dan are, are trying to do. So, for instance, big difference is that the band song is like soaked in ethereal reverb. Mm-hmm. It's very wet. It's all like, you know, the band have this kind of like quality of uh, open cornfields and uh, epiphanies and, you know, like a a kind of questing, searching quality to it. The open road. LSD LSD and loving in the barn. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Steely Dan are very dry in the sense of like production wise. They are very dry. I realised that. There's very little mm. reverb. I mean, obviously there's mm. nat- natural studio reverb, but like all of the instruments are just captured in this very like crisp, well, dry way. I, th- I think there's a, you know, as, a, as, a, as musicians, <laughs> we know that kind of re- reverb is useful because it, it makes stuff sound good even if you make mistakes. Yeah. So I guess the Steely Dan philosophy is just don't make mistakes. Yeah. And rely on everything to sound perfect, dry. Yeah, but I think also it's it's like uh, it, 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 like I say, the band have this kind of uh, quality of sort of like I say, the open road, dropping a tab, and uh, and and having a vague sense of uh, of searching and finding, and you know, it's all kind of like abstract and slightly mystical. Not mystical, mm-hmm. not in a. It, it's not as hippieish as I'm making it sound. They also write songs about everyday life, but I just mean. The quality I take from it is a kind of numinous, numinousness. Uh-uh. Steely Dan, they're city boys, aren't they? And and it's all about the the French Quarter and uh, L.A. and you know, and it's that much more like dry, crisp sound, which I think matches I mean, matches what conf- they're singing you're, about. You're kind of conflating lyrics and yeah, you're conflating lyrics and music here a little bit. But yeah, but if you imagine Pearl of the Quarter produced like in a station. It would sound like the Louise in the song was some sort of like Madonna figure that that had like imprinted herself on his soul, rather than a you know a sort of slightly ambiguous and slightly cynical quasi love song. And I think the production has a part to play in that. Do you think that the band would have done a good version of this song? Yeah. Do you think they would have done a better version? Yeah, because. <laughs> If Richard Manuel, so Richard Manuel is the main vocalist on Inner Station, 
And if he had sung Pearl of the Quarter, it would be fucking heartbreaking because he has that that yearning, like Ray Charlesy, soulful, cracky voice that is just very like emotive. So that's the other thing. That's the other thing I took from this is like the difference between like it it pinned down for me Fagan's vocal style because. Manuel, Rich Manuel, sounds a bit like Fagan. He has a rough voice. It's not. It's oh. not perfectly pitched. It's not perfectly um, delivered. I mean, I, I don't know the band very well, but I listened to this song because she told me to. Yeah, and yeah, there's there's a kind of crackle to it. Yeah, but it, it's very. It's got much more of a kind of Americana twang. But it's not just that Fagan allows himself to have. But it sounds like it sounds like Fagan after having a steam bowl or something. You know what I mean? It's like it's like it's it's like the it's like the rough edges, more throaty. Yeah. yeah. Or or like Fagan has just had the shit kicked out of him, and he's 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 a, it's a bit more sort of plaintive and soulful. Oh, I see, see, see. Yeah. You know, but they both exist in the same Dylan-esque sphere of like consciously imperfect vocals. You know what I mean? The band are kind of like founded a lot of tropes of kind of Americana music. Yeah. Right. And there are there are certain tropes in that music that are that are like signifiers of authenticity. Mm. Like a sli- a slightly loose improvised approach, lots of reverb, a kind of rootsy, plaintive, heartfelt vocal. Yeah. Um if there's value in that, why isn't there value in doing it in Steely Dan's way? Hey, why is there not value I'm literally, in doing it? In I'm a... literally. This is not a value judgment. This is descriptive. I'm being descriptive. I promise you. I'm, I'm being just. Descriptive. I'm just far too. Uh, I'm. I'm just. I'm just far too defensive against. Yeah, yeah. Attacks on no, I'm literally now. just trying to pin down what is the difference. <sighs> I mean, there's two possibilities here. Either they've cribbed the tune from it from in a station. Yeah. Because it's remarkably similar. Yeah. Or they happen to have not heard music from Big Pink and have just created a kind of such a stock Americana song mm. that they happen to have landed on the same melody. Yeah, it's possible. But I don't think that's likely. Music from Big Pink was like <laughs> Muso's choice. Yeah. Like, yeah. No. Yeah. So, and we also have, you know, you've pointed out in last season that they basically cribbed the me- melody from Brooklyn from a Bob Dylan song. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not averse to doing this. They've got good taste. And also <laughs> and also I'll say that you are you are far from the first person to notice this. Right, right. Because I will quote for you mm. uh from uh the review of this album by Mick Gold in Let It Rock in nineteen seventy three. Oh. He says Pearl of the Quarter is a rather schlock tribute to a hooker with a heart of gold who prowls around New Orleans singing voulez-vous. Oh, there's a lot of projection going on there, isn't there? Prowling around. <laughs> well, yeah. like, there's no prowling around in I have, a, I have a suspicion that the tune is cribbed from the band's inner station. Right, right. He says. Yeah. So, yeah, they were saying this as, as soon as it came out. It was noticed. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying, so what I'm saying is this is a turning point, potentially... Ooh. Not in the sense that I like Steely Dan, but just as in, I feel like I know what they're trying to do better through comparison with the band who I love dearly. I will listen. And I've got one more, one more thing to say on the music, which is another uh. band comparison, <laughs> <laughs> which is about the harmonies. So again, just to, because I know you're in a very defensive mood, this is not, I'm not casting any shade over Steely Dan. I'm merely trying to articulate what it is they're doing as distinct from what the band are doing. Okay? That's my intention. 
Thank you. Maybe in my voice you can hear the fact that I much prefer what the band are doing. <laughs> but so one of the great things about the band <laughs> is that you have three lead vocalists who all have very distinct voices. Two of them, Richard Manuel and Rick Danko, have cracky, slightly vulnerable sounding voices. And they, when they harmonise together, as on in a station, it often feels quite rough. If you take as an example of like perfectly blended harmonies, like the Everly Brothers, it's miles and miles away from that. It's two cracky, vulnerable voices, sort of like... Waveforms wavering. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Splashing sorry, around. How, how does this relate to... <laughs> sorry, how does this relate to... Um, I just wanted to talk about Tears of Rage. Pearl of the Quarter. <laughs> no, in Pearl of the Quarter, when the harmony comes in on the second verse, so you know there's I walked alone down the Miracle Mile, is that the line? Mm-hmm. And the harmony comes in, it is like perfectly grafted onto the main vocal to the point where like at the mm-hmm. end of the line where they sing Mile, they like come off like at exactly the same point. Mm-hmm. There's like no discrepancy between the harmony and the lead vocal whereas the band or Graham Parsons harmonizing with Emmylou Harris or other things that I like there's often a a sense of like they're prioritizing what you might call soul or emotiveness over that precise delineation of the of the harmony so again I'm not saying this is a value judgment although I infinitely prefer the band (laughs) 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 <laughs> I'm just saying that that is clearly that is clearly an aesthetic choice that Stevie Dan are making, isn't it? Well, I mean, honestly, I, I only noticed the harmony uh, a few listens in, mm. really, be, because it yeah, because it is so perfect. Yeah, um, and it, uh, interestingly, they don't use the harmony to bolster a chorus. Yeah, as, as you might normally do, they kind of they kind of throw it over the verses as nice airy dressing mm. for the song. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times I can wheel out in response the old trope that kind of Steely Dan are are enjoying the irony of of like uh, the perfection of the music versus the kind of dark heart of the lyrics. Yeah. But you know, that's uh, that's that's one way of putting it. Mm. I don't think it gets to the bottom of it because I think they are just perfectionists at heart. Um, but they're perfectionists. And I think of true yeah. enjoyment. A uh, true enjoyment of Steely Dan is like he's like enjoying that perfectionism, yeah. as well as the sort of lyrical winks and nudges mm. that they're doing. So uh, it, it, it's wrong for me to say that, like, oh, you know, uh, Steely Dan's all about like the contrast of elevated music and snark because it isn't like you know like uh i think if you really want to enjoy steely dan you have to you have to like the aesthetic of yeah note by note perfection as well but isn't it interesting that the so their their main aim is note for note perfection but they have donald fagan as a vocalist because like i say he is in the dylan richard manuel Graham parsons school of vocals not in the sense that he's trying to emote in the way that they are but just in the sense that like Donald Fagan would not be a successful vocalist in a rock band if it wasn't for Dylan like Dylan allowed for people like Donald Fagan to sing a bit nasally and kind of wonkily but if they really but you know what I mean it's like wouldn't they have just said okay fuck off Don let's just get Michael McDonald is that his name Mm -hmm. let's just get Michael McDonald as the lead singer because he's the He's the vocal equivalent of what we're trying to do with every other 
component of this music. But I guess the I guess if they wanted the lyrics to speak against speak be contrary to the to the music, then mm. Donald Fagan becomes the kind of imperfect, perfect voice for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I I do wonder if part of it is a kind of is a distaste or misunderstanding of rock and roll, like that that Donald Fagan and Walter Becker can hold up as heroes these kind of improvisational jazz wizards. Mm. Um, well, you know, the, jazz is all about being loose and it's all about feeling and it's all about mm. making everything up on the spot. But can't apply those same parameters of enjoyment to rock and roll oh you can do you know what i mean no but what i'm saying they can't oh they can't yeah 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 as in as in like if they hear a sloppy guitar solo as a as a sloppy guitar solo as opposed to a kind of like rambunctious firework display of feeling yeah they can't they can't they can't hear it as that because all the what all of what they hold dear is this kind of elegant Mm. improvised jazz music right so i guess if you like what they do that's like a productive tension between the music that they're inspired by and their mm. own musical decisions there's like a bit of friction there yeah 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 Damn! show and tell this week is a first for it is not something to hear nor is it something to see necessarily <laughs> although you can look at it it is something to make and do oh okay that's very so that, this isn't, that's very exciting this isn't me giving this to you this is a gift to all of our listeners mm. um uh which i will make available on the patron patreon so if you want to have you have you opened the file no, no, have a look I'll, at it? I'll open it now Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for you. To you look. looked so proud when you said it was something to make and do, not something to see. I'm, or really, hear. I'm really proud. I, I not. I, this took me about twenty seven minutes last night <laughs> to make. Okay. <laughs> do you want me to describe what I'm looking at? Can you? Do you does it make sense to you? What yeah, it is? yeah, it makes sense to me what it is. Can you explain what it is? Um, well, do I know the do I know the correct language? So basically, it is a stitching pattern for a picture of Donald Fagan, across which you see the words "Pearl of the Quarter." P U R L. Now, pearl is a type of uh, knitting stitch, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is a knitting pattern. It's like drop one, pearl two. It's that kind yeah, of thing, isn't it? Yeah, one pearl, one nip, one pearl, one. Yeah. yeah. If if you um, so effectively, like <laughs> based on that, you could knit a very large Donald Fagan themed rug. <laughs> yeah. Now I don't know if this is crossing any kind of like merchandise boundaries because you know I, I, we're obviously not licensed to produce Steely Dan or Donald Fagan merchandise, mm. but the resources are there if someone wanted to create this. Now, I used. <laughs> A combination of photo editing software and an online um, <laughs> knitting chart creator, which I paid four pounds to get the high resolution wow. download of. I'll, I'll, I'll add, right? But I don't know anything about knitting, mm. and I think this, I think this Donald Fagan blanket that I created <laughs> might be colossal. I think it's, I think, I think there's. 
tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of stitches in there. Right, right. How many for his sunglasses? Like seven hundred stitches. You'd have to count across the lens. Yeah. In any case, I have the original files. If someone wants a reduced version of it that's more doable, I could could try and create that. Um, I I would love to see someone if it is possible. Yeah. Because I think it might be like room room sized. (laughs) Life size Vegas. If it is. If it is possible, I'd love to see someone try. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I'll, I'll link. I'll link this on the Patreon for everyone to enjoy. Not just Patreons. Like, I'll just mm. it's just a convenient holding spot for these kind of things. But um, but yeah, um, I really like the idea that if you hadn't explained that, that somebody would see this knitting pattern and think, oh yeah, that that'd be fun, and then they start doing it. And gradually, it dawns on them that this knitting pattern is going to be the size of like an aircraft hangar. <laughs> well, this is the thing I, I don't understand knitting, but like it depends on the yarn you use and the tightness of your stitch and all sorts of things. So mm. maybe you know, it's I, I think it could be variable between the size of a pigsty and <laughs> and a football stadium. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. but in any case, look if you know knitting, let me know, and if you think it's possible. Please have a go. Yeah, I will. Um, I will subsidise the cost of the of the wool. Yeah, if you do want to try the lyrics. Come on, let's turn this <coughs> ship around. Turn this heartbeat over again. Yeah. Andrew, do you want to kind of give an overview of what these lyrics are about from your point of view? Just, just to kind of you know, let's not. We can't recite the whole song, but let's give an oh, let's give people an idea of what we're talking about here. <laughs> And not everyone has time to listen to Pearl of the Quarter by Steely Dan. Uh, well, as I understand it, the singer of the song went to New Orleans, probably to the French Quarter, and there was an alluring babe called Louise. She's a charmer like you never seen. And uh, he fell for her. She told him uh, that she loved him, and then she went on her way. And now... Far away from Louise, far away from New Orleans, Donald Fagan slash the singer of this song is uh, pining for his Louise. And he is still sufficiently invested in her that he's saying, you know, if you see her, just tell her that she can always hang out with me. She's always got a place to go. Always got a place to go. When her day is done, she got a place to go. Snuggling Mm. up in a onesie Um, with Mr. Donald Fagan. Or the character of this song. Or the character of this song. (laughs) Okay, so uh, yeah, you you mentioned French Quarter. Let's get a few definitions out of the way. Uh, My baby's the pearl of the quarter. Sings Mr. Fagan. Uh, That's probably a reference to the French Quarter of New Orleans, which, thanks to Genius, I know is the oldest part of New Orleans Mm -hmm. and also uh, was or is known for vice and prostitution. Right. So, Our Lady... A love interest is is probably a lady of the night. A fair daughter of the game. Mm. Then, also, we have the line... Uh, I met my baby by the shrine of the martyr. Yep. So that is a reference probably to the Joan of Arc statue. Oh. That's in New Orleans as well. Okay. So, um, which was gifted to France, was gifted by France, rather, to, uh, to New Orleans as a token of... Frenchitude. <laughs> right, okay. 
Um, but yeah, okay, we've got a song set in New Orleans. Um, dude falls in love with the prostitute and seems quite happy about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, hang on, he doesn't seem that happy about it because he's, he's pining. Yeah, he's, well, okay, well, this is the question, isn't it? He is, he is pining, mm. but he's not like, he's not like, where did my Louise go? He says, she left, and if you see her, let me know, let her know I love her and she can come and stay in my bed mm. whenever she likes. But he's not like, why did she go? So you, so he's you not, think he's, he's not playing here? He's not playing the incel Fagan that you so love to point out. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's just, he's just observing that she's gone, and you know, if you see her, let her know. Yeah, but no, 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 there's, there's, there's that plaintive, you know, descending melody with the pedal steel and everything. He's clearly like, you know, sorrowful. But you see, where? Lyrically, is he sorrowful? Well, but the two things I pointed out then were not lyrical. I'm saying the music no, I know, suggests but, a bit of saudade. Yeah, it does. It does suggest a bit of saudade. Mm. But he never outright states that he is sorrowful for her departure. Um, the subjective marriage of music and lyrics may suggest something else to you, but but he he's just... He, as far as I'm concerned, he seems quite okay with... Having her as a happy and saudagesson <laughs> memory, right? <laughs> right, okay. But she stole my heart, he says. She stole my heart with her Cajun smile. Yeah, she stole, as you'd say to someone that you ended up marrying. Would you? I saw her by the, I, I saw her by the Joan of Arc statue and she stole my heart with her Cajun smile. Yeah. And we're happily married with three kids living in New Mexico. Okay, today. okay. Yeah, okay, all right, I, I accept that. So my point that I'm getting to here is, which I alluded to, well, I stated outright earlier, is I think there's kind of two ways to read this song, right? Either this is a love song to a prostitute, and in Steely Dan's eyes, this the singer, the character of this song is a total loser because he's fallen in love with the prostitute and the prostitute doesn't give a shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how impotent and emotional he is to pine for a prostitute or to remember her as the love of his life. Yeah. Right? That's kind of point one, which I don't think is unlikely, okay, as a reading, based on men in the 1970s who are in rock bands. Mm. Like, I don't think that's necessarily, you know, uh, 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 unlikely as a reading. But if you, if, you, if you take it, if you take this lyric on its own, value and don't kind of attach that potential cultural context to it what we effectively have is two people who are quite happy in a very superficial relationship like they are both being they're they, they're both being superficial so for instance we have um we have sync we have character living with a kind of happy memory of this perfect love that you saw mm. and 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 never want and never making the effort to go any deeper than this this is a prostitute I met once and she is in my head this perfect vision of like Cajun womanhood. Yeah. And I gave her a few chocolates and some and some kind words. Mm -hmm. Um and she she gave me some kind words back and, and fucked off, right? Whereas she got chocolate and flowers and said I love you and then got on with her day. Yeah. Like viewed like viewing it like that is not necessarily a sad song. It's just a song about two people who are 
really quite happy to have a fairly superficial <laughs> right like, yeah yeah um it's just it, interaction with the one transaction. Another. yeah i gave her some flowers and candy so, she said she loved me then she then she was on her way you yeah. know and if she's and, a, if and, she's ever in uh in la she can always pop into the studio and hang out with the boys <laughs> well if this is if this is fake <laughs> speaking which is not necessarily true but you know, um, uh, yeah, it, it's it's kind of like it's it's superficial on kind of for different reasons. In that sh- she has gifts and is just doing a job, and he has this he has this low effort memory of a perfect woman. Mm. Because as we all know, like the human fallibility means that like nobody meets like I the ideals of kind of first glance love. Mm. Like as soon as you. You know, like, well, like even people you. are, well, well, you know, we're different, but we, you know, as humans, we are <clears throat> imperfect creatures and we, we, you know, so it's like he has, he's, he seems happy to not have, to not put the effort in to th- deal with her imperfections. Mm. You know what all of this just puts like me in mind of? The band. Your friend of mine, Randy Newman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Because it's like, it has the sound of a love song. The, the, you know the sound of a heartaching love song, but then when you scratch the lyrics, it's unclear exactly what level of profundity there is to the emotion, and that well, that, is a, that is a Newman-esque is that, uh, gambit. Yeah, I, and I agree, but I think I think there's like, and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm some kind of like deep reading, deep thought here, mm. right? But I think most readings tend to go. It sounds like a love song, but actually it's about a prostitute. Mm. Which may have been as deep as it was intended, but if you scratch a little beneath that and see who is, and and see exactly what these two characters are saying to one another, mm. there's a reading which kind of cuts beyond that, which is that like, well, they both basically don't give a shit, but are happy to have a, 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 a kind of superficial care for one another because that suits their individual needs. Mm. At that at that time, do you see what I mean? I do. I just think that the the music pulls against that reading. You see, this is the thing: is the joke that, oh, if you actually listen, this guy's in love with a prostitute mm. and he's yearning for a prostitute, and that's funny. Or is the joke we've made this yearning song of of kind of like lost love, but actually, like both characters uh, are, are, are are basically only interested in a kind of surface level. Mm. Well, the second the second one is more interesting, isn't it? Because there's mm. nothing that I mean, ha ha, he fancies a prostitute is not a good punchline to any joke. <laughs> Whereas it's kind of more thought provoking if you, if it has all the all the tropes and signifiers of a heartfelt love song, but in fact, the emotional heft is like very light. That's more interesting, I would say. And you know which reading i'd prefer to go number two but uh, but i i'm not yeah but i'm not confident that that's what they were going yeah well my favorite uh my favorite thing in this song is when (laughs) the lyric is she stole my heart with her cajun smile singing and i just find it really funny imagining louise smiling and singing at the same time (laughs) (laughs) um well, I mean, okay, this kind of supports the first reading of like uh, of of Steely Dan thinking prostitutes are funny, but like I like the uh, but this is also a little bit Newman esque. Is like using 
a, a, a sex worker's hustle for work as yeah. a sing along pop pop refrain yeah is is quite a human definitely thing to do. yeah 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 um, and you, you could imagine the crowd singing along voulez 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 but obviously it's not that they're not in on the joke but if that is the joke then you know it's it's quite uh, smart to do that I think yeah but I also think it works as not a joke song it does work as just a a, a country pop song with uh, a slight air of melancholy about it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean so a, a, a phrase that I enjoy in this is the line I walked alone down the Miracle Mile mm. I looked this up apparently the Miracle Mile is like a, a row of extravagant shops and boutiques and things like that but okay. it comes immediately before I met my baby by the Shrine of the Martyr so mm-hmm. then it implies that the Miracle Mile could be like somewhere where a miracle took place or a spiritual uh, mm-hmm. event mm-hmm. happened so it's kind of like c- combining the is this like, commerce with Christianity. Yeah, yeah, it's like the city is a sort of, you know, a site of the sacred and the profane mm. rubbing mm. shoulders. I think that's quite good. Mm. Um, but I was, yesterday I went and, for a I walked from Wolverhampton, uh, from Birmingham to Wolverhampton with my friend Joe. Uh, and he told me of the, 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 pil- <laughs> the, the Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, and he, about three hours into the uh, our walk, he told me that my Achilles heel is my love of a fine phrase. <laughs> Which made me laugh. But, you know, so... I mean, were you participating in a drama of your own life written by yourself? <laughs> what? He said it. He did. Um, now's a good time to bring up your thing that I... <laughs> I said we should cut earlier mm. where you were saying there's a joke in the lyrics um, mm. because you mentioned uh, the, the, ju- the juxtaposition of like miracles and shrines and city uh, uh, urbanity and yeah. spirituality. What was your joke so we can make it so we can make sure it gets in the episode? <laughs> so the, the point that I was making uh, was just that it's like a teasing ambiguity in the first verse whether she is a sex worker or not. So on the water down in New Orleans, my baby's the pearl of the quarter. She's a charmer like you never seen, singing voulez, 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 vous. The only thing there that I guess suggests that she is a sex worker is the fact that the French Quarter is famous for its brothels. Yeah, so only if you know the French Quarter yeah. would you pick up. On yeah, it. and also the fact that she's singing voulez, 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 vous, which is presumably a reference to voulez, vous, coucher avec moi. You know, mm-hmm. an invitation to... Would you, would you, would you, would you? Yeah. Is that what it means? Uh, doesn't it mean, do you want, do you want, do you want, you? Do you want, do you want, do you want, do you want? Yeah, yeah which, 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 which in... Uh, you don't even need the voulet, the coucher avec moi to kind yeah. of read what that might mean. Well, unless she's going like, you want some, you want some, you want some, like that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just picking a fight. Uh, anyway. In the British way. The... Mate, mate. <laughs> Anyway, next line is where, where where people are friendliest to you when they want to fight you. Was that pal, mate? Oh yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Sorry. Anyway, go well, on. I think I, I, it's only recently that I've made my peace with the word mate because I always thought that it had a edge of aggression. Yeah, well, yeah, it does. It does sometimes. It does quite often crop up in those situations. Yeah, yeah. But it's weird, isn't it? 
Anyway. No, you hear, you hear it in the office as well. But yeah, anyway. So at this point in the song, you're like, okay, maybe she's a fair daughter of the game, but I'm not sure. Next line. Where the sailor spend his hard-earned pay. She's like, all right, okay. So the sailor's spending his hard-earned pay on her because he's on shore leave or whatever and wants to, mm-hmm. you know, get his maritime end away. But then the next line is... Red beans and rice for a quarter. So it's like, yeah, so it's, yeah. like it, it's sort of winking at the listener and, and leading you to think that the sailor is spending his hard-earned pay on the pearl of the quarter, but actually it's he's spending his hard-earned pay on food. So it's like play, playing yeah, with the listener's expectations that, that, of who this woman is. and That's very yeah. good, and I, I didn't pick up on that at all. Uh, I just I just saw the lines, the line red bean and rice for a quarter. Yeah. Which I think I've always heard as red beans in, in her eyes <laughs> for a quarter because of the way Donald Fagan sings it. But I've never thought to question it. Red beans and rice for a quarter... Um, I, I just saw that as kind of scene setting as kind of like we're in an area of yeah. of kind of poverty and uh, which it probably is but no when you like you, like you say it's it's uh, when when viewed against the previous line it is a little kind of nudge nudge wink wink say no more yeah but it is also local detail which is one of the good things about this song isn't it is it does conjure up a place well, this is one of... so Okay, so this is something I wanted to say about this lyric, is that, you know, we've had on this album quite a lot of... Um, uh, let's throw random Im- imagery around yeah. uh, in a Jackson Pollock-esque way yeah. uh, uh, until it makes an impact. This this lyric is... So, this lyric does have some local references, the French Quarter, the Shrine of the Martyr, yada, yada, yada. But it is quite straightforward and, and it tells a story. Yeah. And it literally opens with like sharing the key information and location, like a movie would. Yeah, or know, like, it's or, like how, how or like to, Dallas would. How to write a yeah? How how like Dallas would? It, it it's like how to open a screenplay. It's like <laughs> on the water down New Orleans. So we've got the location. Yeah. My baby's the pearl of the quarter. Like you know, we we we're instantly like there. Yeah, and then and then it sprinkles in all these other like kind of local details. Mm. I think it's kind of a quite a timeless sounding lyric. Like if you remove the local detail, it's it's kind of a tale as old as time, and you can imagine it, you know, originating in any time period, which is unlike, mm-hmm. I would say, most Dan lyrics that we've heard. But at the same time, it seems like absolutely driven by its local detail. Like, yeah, but I just mean man falls in love with a prostitute down by the water and there's some sailors hanging around. Yeah, yeah, it just yeah, feels yeah, yeah. kind of like uh, archetypal. Ooh. Slam. Or. Scam. So as you know, uh, I have already given my one scam from this album, so this is a royal slam for me. It just belongs on this album as a nice, like, cloud of country fun uh and i love sitting on that cloud and it takes me to happy places um or we didn't quite get to the bottom of the lyrical juxtaposition whether that's kind of like uh a one note misogynistic joke or a three note comment on on modern relationships and superficiality but uh i like it and it's nice, and it stands 
on its own without any comparisons to the band. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um but what do you think, Andrew Suter? I think it's fine. But that's not in the okay. that's not a slam or scam, okay. is it? I think when uh so I went to see Ollie's band play a gig at the weekend, last weekend, and uh Ollie was sort of um in, in a in a kind of like bunny like way was sort of bouncing up and down and asking me what I thought of Pearl of the Quarter. And I think I said that it was a, a non-event in my life. <laughs> and that is kind of still how I feel about it. Like, I think it's very nice. It's very well constructed and well played. But it has left no, you know... What's that Kafka quote about how every novel should be like a shard of ice through the heart or something? Well, that's high expectations. It is high expectations, but shouldn't we go into these things with a, with a, with a sense of um, high standards? Is uh, is you is call me Al by Paul Simon <laughs> a shot of ice through the heart? <laughs> no, but it's a double espresso to the feet. Well, exactly. Like that's a great song, but I would never call it a shot of ice through the heart. <laughs> sure, yeah. Okay, I, maybe the Kafka quote was not as appropriate as it felt in the moment. <laughs> it's. I'm just saying, it's fine. It's fine. It's a soft slam. Hello, Ollie again. Thanks, as ever, for listening to another episode of Countdown to Exegesis. We always appreciate our lovely listeners. And be sure to tune in next week for our very first Christmas special as we tackle the very Christmassy King of the World. If you'd like to support us, we would love it if you shared our episodes with your Dan-loving friends, give us a review, or... If you're feeling very generous, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash countdown to exegesis. Um, we should be getting the first bonus episode up very soon, I hope. Thank you and goodbye.